It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. You can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Kay Winnigle and I'm joined today by my co-host Natalie Bucknell. Hello Kay. And Michael Steindall. Hi, and uh, huge apologies for the silence. That was uh, my panel stuff up, folks. <laughs> Welcome. Today we're going to be talking about the latest report from the Climate Council called Fully Charged, Renewables and Storage Powering Australia. Petra Stock, an environmental engineer and the Climate Council's lead on energy and climate solutions, is here with us to explain the report. Welcome, Petra. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and thanks for having me. Petra, firstly, can you tell us a bit about the Climate Council, how many people there are, what it does? Sure. So the Climate Council is a climate communications organisation. So we take the latest research in climate impacts, but also in solutions like renewable energy and storage technologies, like we're talking about today. And we try and explain those in a way that the general public can understand. Are you based in Melbourne or Sydney or...? Based in Melbourne, so the Climate Council has offices both in Sydney and Melbourne. And how many people are involved in the organisation? I think it's about 20 now, but we've been growing over the past year, which is fantastic. Well, there's a lot of work to do in this area. (laughs) There sure is. (laughs) So what's the composition of those 20 people? Are they mainly researchers or communicators? Um, So we have our research team, which I'm a part of, um, which has climate scientists, engineers like myself, And we also have a communications area, so ex-journalists who work with the media and our community team who work with our um, our members and stakeholders, um, making sure we're delivering reports that our community are really wanting to read. And do your reports go to all the relevant ministers around Australia? Is that how it works or...? So, so we share our reports um, broadly with the general public, with journalists in the media, but also with key politicians whose areas it is to actually get on and do something about these issues. And keep up to date with the figures. And yep. I noticed that there's a lot of public interest in your reports. There sure is, and this latest uh, report on energy storage has had a huge number of shares from our community. So people reading the report, finding it interesting, and then sharing it with their friends. And finding it easy to read, which is very important too. The latest report, which we said was called Fully Charged Renewables and Storage Powering Australia, shows that Australia is on the cusp of a reliable renewable energy future as the cost of energy storage rapidly drops, with prices dropping by 80% since 2010, and they're tipped to halve again by 2025. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And what's amazing when we did this report is we just found there are a huge number of projects happening around Australia and either under construction or in the pipeline. 
So Australia is really on the cusp of a, an energy storage boom, if you like to call it that, and, um, and it's something we'll see a lot more of in the future. So what, what other key findings did you make with the report, Petra? Well, we found that um, a lot of these projects are being driven by state um, positive state policies, so particularly South Australia, which a lot of people have heard of the the big Tesla battery in South Australia at the Hornsdale Wind Farm. But South Australia is doing other things too, such as um, a solar thermal plant which incorporates heat storage near Port Augusta. Um, so South Australia is really leading the way here, but they're not the only state that's taking action. Pretty much every state and territory around the country is um, supporting energy storage projects to happen. For example, uh, Victoria and Queensland both have what's called a reverse auction process to try and encourage new energy storage into those states. Yeah, so it's really a, straight, a state-driven initiative, isn't it, because the federal government isn't doing anything? Um, it, it has like renewable energy where the states are really leading the way, um, so too is the case in energy storage where we're seeing states take the lead. But we couldn't say in this case that the federal government is doing nothing because obviously they've got their um, favourite project, Snowy 2.0, which is an enormous pumped hydro energy storage project. Massive. And just in the news this morning, they've managed to buy the extra bits of the hydro system they need to be able to do that. Um, From Victoria and New South Wales. But you you have reservations in the report about the Snowy 2 scheme, don't you? We do. So there's two things. Uh, One which is um, close to our hearts is that if we want to do something about climate change, energy storage has to be used in conjunction with scaling up renewable energy. So... We know that Snowy 2.0 is a huge project, but there's no um, there's no accompanying proposed increase in renewable energy in New South Wales. So what that means is that that project will be powered by coal um, coal from the electricity grid, and it's even worse because when you're storing energy through these projects, you're actually not wasting a little bit, but you lose a little bit of that energy along the way. So without an accompanying increase in renewable energy, you can actually end up with more emissions. So I guess that's our that's our key reservation about Snowy 2.0. Yeah, the round-trip losses with, with pumped hydro are actually much worse than lithium batteries. It's sort of 15 to 20%, isn't it? That's right, and um, which is not a problem if it's if backed it. by <laughs> renewable energy. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. And it's the same argument they use with electric cars, isn't it? So you can't have too many electric cars because they're powered by fossil fuel. Much better if they're powered by your rooftop solar panels. Exactly, yeah. So you had a myth-busting section on energy storage um, with five key points. Do you want to briefly tell us about those, Petra? So uh, the first um, myth, I guess, is that we don't need energy storage at every single power plant around the country. Um, It's not the case. While there's some great examples of projects which pair renewable energy and storage, that's not something we need to see at every wind farm or at every solar farm or indeed at every gas plant or coal plant because how the grid works is it it uses a diverse range of... um, these different forms of energy production, which allows for um, cases where 
one plant might be offline. For example, if a coal plant gets flooded or a gas plant doesn't have the gas um, on hand to supply, we can rely on these diverse range of energy sources. So we don't need energy storage at every single energy plant. And Wasn't that one of the recommendations in the Finkel report? No, in the NEG. Uh, I thought that was part of that. Yeah, so I guess um, there's a lot of misunderstanding as well about how solar and wind power work. People are... Uh, I don't want to say the phrase, but we've all heard, you know, when the sun's not shining. But what the International Energy Agency has found when it looks at different countries which have incorporated large amounts of renewable energy, much more than Australia, is that actually as you have more renewable energy, more wind and more solar into the power grid, it actually becomes more reliable, more predictable um, and less variable. So... Um, it sort of maybe doesn't seem like that would be the case, but that is what happens. Is that because their um, resources for it are distributed across different climate sections? Or? That's exactly right. And, um, and I guess you lose that reliance. If you just have one wind farm um, where it's more variable, as you have more wind farms across a larger space, exactly. It smooths out the variations. That's right. <laughs> And is that why we need more wind farms in New South Wales? Because we get the same weather conditions across South Australia and Victoria in, in terms of wind? Definitely. The more we can spread out these different kinds of um, energy, different kinds of power plants, relying on different energy resources, it will make our grid more resilient. So that's a really important point you just brought up. I think there's four words that, that we should discuss that... Um, dispatchable versus baseload. The fossil fuel industry keeps t on about baseload. What they're really trying to say is dispatchable. And your storage report um, and, and storage itself makes electricity dispatchable, which is really what we need. On demand, when you want, as much as you want. The other one is intermittent versus unreliable. Mm. And the fossil fuel industry tries to equate intermittent resources, such as wind and solar, as unreliable. And in fact... AIMO said the real unreliability is in the coal ones because they fail and we had 40 failures over summer mm. and it's an instant failure of half a gigawatt, isn't it? That's right. So if you think about... Um, I went to California last year as an example and they're a lot further along in terms of adopting renewable energy and what they've found is that as they move more towards sources like wind and solar, these base load technologies which in Australia are like the coal-fired power stations and in California is nuclear, um, they're actually less useful to the grid because what's needed in conjunction with wind and solar and cleaner technologies is much faster, more flexible technologies and that's what energy storage um, forms like batteries and also um, pumped, hydro. Mm. pumped hydro and heat storage, they can be um, much more nimble and responding to different changes in the grid than these sort of um, really large, slow, inflexible generators like coal and gas. So getting back to your other key um, findings, you, you don't need the one-to-one -one energy storage that you've, talk, you've just talked about, and you say that energy storage enables higher levels of renewable energy to reduce pollution. How do you actually get that message across to the people that are making the decisions on that? 
I guess it's a combination of seeing what's happened overseas. But I think in Australia, as people see what energy storage can do, um, and we've only just started to have some of these really large-scale batteries come online in Australia and other projects um, like uh, there's an amazing pumped hydro and solar project called Kidston in Queensland. Um, northern Queensland. And when Australians start to see how these technologies work, they'll grow confidence about the fact that they can provide renewable energy 24-7 when you need it on demand. And you said the the um, storage mechanisms are faster and more flexible, which is the point you're just talking about, the, the big coal stations. Um, you said bigger is not necessarily better. No, I mean, we don't... Um we don't necessarily need an enormous pumped hydro project like Snowy 2.0. Smaller um, distributed distributed energy storage technologies really um, makes the grid much more reliable because you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So instead of um, so, if we were to completely rely on one massive storage project, and there's a drought one year, for example then that really risks the reliability of our energy supply. Much better to have a much much more diverse, using different technologies, um, spread across the country. So having said that, how much storage do we need in total if we're running on 100% renewables? What? Um, well... Different studies have found that if we get we can get to fifty percent renewable energy with very little storage at all, um, as you start to get towards one hundred, the it becomes more technically challenging. You do need um, you do need more storage, but we've got a long way to go to get to fifty percent. So um, it's not something that Australia needs to worry about at this stage especially given we ha already have all these projects in the pipeline. And just um, a point before we made about coal, the reason that these coal-fired power stations are currently failing is because they can't cope with the hot weather. So really that's not very good news for us for the future, is it? Because the hotter it gets, the more they'll fail. No, I mean, we know in Australia, uh, you know, we've just come to the end of summer and we know that heat waves are getting hotter, they'll be longer, um, and more extreme, and yes, coal, coal plants, and especially the very old coal plants that we have in Australia, are really struggling um, to keep going in the heat. Um, and what we've seen as the big batteries come online is that there was an incident where a coal plant tripped out in Victoria, and the big battery was able to come online really quickly to smooth out the frequency in the grid and... Um, keep things moving. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Petra Stock from the Climate Council about their recent report. Um, and again, just on the coal-fired power stations, they're actually now using their own energy, coal, to try and cool themselves so that they can supply power. It's ironic, really, isn't it? <laughs> Petra, you said in the report 6,750 new household batteries were installed in 2016. The battery market was predicted to have tripled in size in 2017 so that's over 20,000 installations is that um, rooftop solar or is it commercial pv or a combination of both 
Mostly rooftop solar is what we're talking about here. So we know Australia is one of the leading countries when it comes to households having their own uh, source of power on their roof. And um, so it's just a perfect solution for those households to add in um, battery storage, which allows them to store up that solar energy maybe when they're away at work and be able to use that when they come home in the evening. So for those batteries for households, um, I guess, you know, a, a commonly discussed topic is the payback on, on the batteries. Where are we at with payback on, on those in terms of the cost they're at? My understanding is that by 2020, in most uh, most key cities in Australia, that batteries will be cost competitive for some households. Of course, it depends on how you use energy in your household. Um, but of course, battery Costs are falling so dramatically. Um, as you said in the intro, they've come down 80% since 2010 and they're expected to keep falling. So what we'll see is that as these costs come down, um, installations will go up, costs will keep coming down and it won't, it won't be long before batteries are really a great solution for most households in Australia. Yeah, not only for climate but also economically. Exactly. Yeah. So speaking of the, you know, how batteries are performing, how is the big battery going in South Australia? It's been running for, what, three months now? Yeah, so it's now, it's now been running almost longer than it took to uh, permit and construct. Wow. And um, <laughs> that was we've, we've already seen some of the benefits. I mean, even the day before the battery was intended to come online, the Australian energy market operator called it on early to help out with a situation where they needed to meet peak demand. So, And there's the other example where the battery was able to jump in um, to help with frequency and stabilising the grid when a coal plant unit tripped out. We've already seen a number of examples of the great range of benefits that these types of storage technologies can bring to the grid. And so in terms of the frequency, that was, is that an unexpected advantage that people hadn't anticipated? No, but I guess it's not one that we commonly talk about. Most people think about energy storage as simply the um, storing up the energy for use later. But batteries can really tackle um, all parts of the energy trilemma, as the uh, Prime Minister likes to call it. So they can deal with... Um, reliability, which is saving that energy up for use later. They can deal with security, which is about the technical requirements of the grid to operate within certain frequencies and have a certain amount of inertia. Um, And it can also deal with affordability, so um, avoiding the use of gas plants particularly in um, really peak demand periods can really help keep prices less high Um, and of course it can deal with climate change if we're pairing those storage technologies with renewables. So South Australia is already at over 50% renewables and so they do have a a concrete need for storage and they're addressing that um, very competently it seems. What about the rest of Australia where I think your report says about 16% renewables and and you say we can get to about 50% without serious need of storage is that correct? That's right. So there was a report which was uh, launched by the chief scientist at the end of last year by a group uh, research 
body called Acola, and they had found that Australia can get to 50% renewables without needing much storage at all. Um, obviously, South Australia is a different story, but um, yes, we need to move a lot further forward uh, on renewable energy first. So changing topics a little bit, um, so there's been a lot of discussion last year about the National Energy Guarantee that's been proposed. How, how does the storage recommendations in that fit with what you found in your report? What would you be recommending for, the, for that? So the National Energy Guarantee, which is the federal government's proposed energy policy, is meant to deal with emissions but unfortunately has a very low emissions reduction target of 28%. Um, But it's also meant to make the grid more reliable. But what we know is the electricity grid in Australia is actually already quite reliable and um, the NEG won't do anything to tackle the issues like coal plants not coping in the heat. And what we know is... Well, it actually tries to benefit them, doesn't it? Encourage them to continue. That's right. It may, in fact, make us more reliant on those coal plants for reliability instead of um, some of the newer technologies coming on board. But so we know the grid is reliable. We know we've got all of these energy storage projects in the pipeline. I guess the question is, if it's not doing much on emissions and it's not doing much on reliability and it's creating a whole lot of red tape um, on top of an already complex electricity system, what value is this policy bringing to Australia? And as the government has also conceded, they actually don't know what it's all about anyway. (laughs) No, it's very hard to understand the National Energy Guarantee. They released a consultation paper uh, about a week ago and um, I won't encourage anyone to have a read of it because it's very difficult to get your head around. (laughs) Pretty convoluted. And the other interesting thing is that um, prior to this summer, there were the, all these scare reports about there were going to be blackouts all over Australia, the eastern coast, and how ter- terrible it was, and we weren't ready for anything. We've gone through the summer, and it's been quite hot, unscathed. Mm, not a single failure at the consumer end, where, whereas there were, in fact, approximately 40 dropouts of major fossil fuel plants, mm. but we still coped with that. Mm. But I'm... I guess we shouldn't be complacent. We know that we've got all these ageing coal plants and they will come to their to be 50, the end of their technical lives, um, over 50 years old within the next decade or so. We need to be planning now to be bringing more renewable energy online, especially in states like New South Wales, where there's a number of coal plants slated for closure, um, and in Victoria and Queensland as well. As I understand it, there's about, um, or Australia's on track to have about 12 gigawatt of solar PV installed by 2020, and that's going to be boosted by an expected 2.3 gigawatt of new utility-scale capacity that's going to be added in the next three years. And that's all because it's all cost-competitive. And also, we have to say, there are government initiatives. But putting that into perspective, Australia currently has about 22 gigawatt of coal-fired power so it's actually not that far off in terms of renewables and so renewables are coming in and taking over the the load that that coal used to take up that's right and we had a record year last year for renewable energy and if we were to just continue that pace of new projects coming online australia could get to 50 
over 50% renewables by 2030 just by continuing that same pace of new projects. So it is achievable. We just need to make sure that we don't put federal policies or state policies in place which bring that to a halt. So what what policies do we need to ensure that continuity? Because I guess some of the policies, existing policies and, and funding that's in place will is going to expire in the next couple of years, isn't it? So what, what do you recommend for to ensure the continuance of that expansion? Well, what we've been seeing is states around Australia really taking the lead here. So uh, nearly every state in Australia either has a renewable energy target or a Uh, commitment to reach net zero emissions by 2050, except for Western Australia. And so states are really taking the lead and and they're reaping the benefits of that through new projects, through jobs and investment. But we are lacking a credible federal policy which tackles emissions from our electricity sector, but also emissions from our whole economy. Um, And that's what we need to see from the federal government and it needs to really tackle the issue of climate change, not just sort of be a cursory tick-the-box exercise. We really need to get on and, and have policies which bring online new supply well in advance of coal closures that are coming. Because we are in a climate emergency. Absolutely. Um, but it's also a huge opportunity, as we've seen through the storage report, um, There's plenty of reasons to feel negative about uh, all of the climate impacts that are happening around Australia, but there's also plenty of reasons to feel really positive and optimistic about the future through renewable energy, storage technologies, but also great initiatives in other sectors as well. So on that climate emergency theme, very briefly, um, the the Climate Council is prepared to use that term, are they? Because some organisations like ACF are are concerned about scaring the punters effectively and won't say it. I guess what's important is to have people still feeling hope in the situation uh, and to focus on what we need to do to get on and solve the problem. Absolutely, and your report gives a lot of hope. Thank you so much for your time today, Petra. Can people go to your website, theclimatecouncil.org.au, to find out more and, in fact, to get access to the report? They can read the report and also... um, all of our reports are up on our website and available. For Fantastic. Thank you, so Thank you again. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to the show or any of the others we've done, go to bze.org.au and click on podcasts. If you can enjoy the program and can donate, please go to the website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.